Bibles there, Ezekiel chapter 14. Ezekiel chapter 14, as you're going to see, the first few verses deal with idolatry. Idolatry is really a problem that has been among God's people since the very beginning. Uh, Even through the the book of Genesis, through Exodus, uh, through the conquest of the land, Just a a few stories to give examples of this. If you think back of the time of uh, Achan in Joshua chapter 7, Achan was a man who was guilty of a serious crime. He took something that was under the ban that he was not to have, and yet he hid it. Uh, In Genesis chapter 31... Uh, We see Rachel, as she is leaving her father Laban, she took one of the household gods and then sat upon it and and concealed it from her husband and her father as they were investigating. Most likely, both of those people probably didn't anticipate the problems that their deeds would cause. Uh, with Rachel, that added to the strained relationship between Laban and Jacob. In the case of Achan, they were defeated at Ai, and though it was a small number of people, some 36 deaths, that's way too many that was a cause of him hiding his, uh, his sin. And here, as we're going to look at in Ezekiel chapter 14, the elders are going to be approaching God or approaching uh, Ezekiel looking for a word from God and yet they still have idols of the heart. Now some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me and the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, these these men have set up their idols in their hearts. And put before them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Should I let myself be inquired of at all by them? Therefore speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Every one of the house of Israel who sets up his idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity and then comes to the prophet... I, the Lord, will answer him who comes according to the multitude of his sins, that I may seize the house of Israel by their heart, because they are estranged from me by their idols. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Repent and turn away from your idols, and turn your faces away from all your abominations. For anyone of the house of Israel, or of the strangers who dwell in Israel, who separates himself from me, and sets up his idols in his heart, and puts them before him, what causes him to stumble into iniquity, then comes to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me, I, the Lord, will answer him by myself. I will set my face against that man." and make him a sign and a proverb, and I will cut him off from the midst of my people. 
then you will know that I am the Lord. So these elders who are among the exiles approached Ezekiel in search of a word from God, yet they had idols set up in their hearts. Perhaps they were hidden idols that nobody knew, just like with, uh, with Rachel and with Achan. Perhaps even they deceived themselves and didn't see the, the idols as for what they truly were. We need to be careful as we live our walk with Christ that we are aware of idols that exist and if they are in our lives that we remove them from our lives. What is an idol? Really, an idol is anything that takes place above God. Now, it doesn't have to be something inherently evil or demonic as it's set out in scriptures. It can be something that God has made good, but just takes our affections away from the Lord. What do we trust in? What do we follow? What do we pride ourselves in? Do we trust and obey in the other things of this world, or are we trusting and obeying God? The, the point of our uh, lesson this evening is to look at several different uh, types of idols. This is not an exhaustive list, but it's, it's a sizable list. Uh, I have on the board a number of passages. We're not going to read through all of them. But I encourage you in your time to, to look at and evaluate these. And uh, perhaps these are some idols in your heart. I know some of them have been in, uh, in my heart as well. And perhaps there are other idols that are not listed. But let's look at these and examine them carefully. We've already looked at the examples in Joshua and in Genesis of these hidden idols. Some things can be idols that God made good in creation. And, and what we see in the world around us. I've started seeing uh, where I teach. Uh, a number of students who will uh, put their faith and trust in these crystals. They'll have crystals around their uh, necks uh, in necklace fashion uh, or other things of this world such as oils or they'll put their trust in modern medicine and things of the, in this world. These things existed in the Bible. God made them beautiful. They have practical purposes. And yet, there are some who will try to, in their own mind, manipulate God's creation for their own purposes. They, it's what is referred to as New Age religion. That, and by using these things, these oils, these rocks, these whatever we have, Believing that they will ward off bad luck or they will absorb negative energy uh, in a sort of pseudoscience kind of manner. Is it okay to use oils? Is it okay to, to enjoy the beauty of, the, of God's creation and crystals and things like that? Absolutely. But we need to be careful that they do not become a stumbling block. We saw that uh, phrasing used in Ezekiel in our reading. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul writes in, uh, to the Corinthian church, talking about using wisdom and discernment, that it doesn't make them or other people stumble. 
because it, it too often is the case that we, uh, we, in our human nature, will attribute God's power to creation instead of to the Creator. Think of Romans 1, verses 22 through 25. Romans 1, 22 through 25. Uh, professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. People using nature, using the things that God has given us to change their environment for themselves is selfish and, and self-centered because too often people will look at these things and give the credit for the good things going on in their life, some healing or some prosperity or some balance in their life to these things instead of seeing God and looking to God and turning to God. They put trust in those, giving credit to those. And when we do that, that's stealing glory and honor from our God. Another, another idol that we, we see... Uh, in scriptures and in our society is that of our rights, our human rights. God has given us uh, the rights, and we live in a wonderful country that we have so many things that we are capable of doing. Paul himself was able to exercise uh, some of his rights we see in the book of Acts, chapter 16, chapter 25. And yet, I... I, I tend to say that this is how society is now, but it seems like that's how society has always been, that we often feel entitled that if we have a right that we must exercise it. But that's not the case. If we look at uh, Paul, Paul was willing to give up his rights for the good of the brethren. We see uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, which is tied in with what we saw previously in, in chapter 8. In studying this, just going through the book of 1 Corinthians, you see a bunch of different idols. We see the, the topic being addressed of uh, meats being offered to idols, but that's not the only kind of idol that we see uh, in Scripture uh, in, the, in, that, in that book. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I'll just read one, one verse in particular. Uh, that in verse 19, though I am free of all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. Earlier in that chapter, he talked about, do I not have the right to, to be paid and to take on a believing spouse and do many other things? But he it says that he is making himself a servant to all. We talked about that earlier this morning, about how we are all to be servants uh, in, in respect to one another. And he even encourages them to do the same, to not, to not demand that they get their way all the time. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, a couple of chapters earlier, uh, 
We see the we see the issue of people taking one another to court. And he says in verse 7, now therefore it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. Whenever we insist on doing things our way, on feeling like we need to have a say in everything, we're really showing that we are not submitting ourselves to God or submitting ourselves to one another. In, in our society, we see the idols of uh, political affiliation or putting uh, our country as an idol in our heart. Who do we truly follow? Do we follow politicians? Do we follow political uh, parties and, and uh, groups of people? Who do we put our trust in? So many times whenever we antagonize and demonize leaders and, and groups of people and while at the same time lifting up other people and saying that they have all the solutions to all of our problems, we forget that our citizenship is in heaven. Our minds are being set on earthly things, as it says in Philippians chapter 3, in verses 19 and 20. Let's not set our minds on the things of this world, but be focusing on where our citizenship truly lies in heaven, and focusing on God as our leader. But it's not just in the political realm that, that, that that's the truth. The same can be true even within God's people. Whenever we have loyalties to certain preachers or our preferences uh, in elders or churches or styles of so uh, song leading and things of that nature, we often will become like the Corinthian church, thinking back to chapter 1 of that book, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where one says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of Christ. Who do we pledge our allegiance to? It's not to any man or to the church. It is to God. It is to Christ. Anything else is, is an idol. To our next point, looking at the idol of power and prestige, to the, uh, the idol of influence, we're all familiar in Daniel chapter 4 of the story of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is an example of God lifting up a man to a position of authority and stewardship. Politicians, politics, government is not inherently evil. As we, as we, well, as we see through all of this, none of it is inherently evil. But what do we do with it? Are we, are we pointing ourselves to God or to ourselves? Nebuchadnezzar, though he was in a position of stewardship, continued to lift himself up and cut God out of the picture. And in chapter 4, in verse 25, God warned him of the humiliation that would come as a result of his pride. In verse 25, 
Uh, They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And they shall make you eat grass like oxen. And they shall wet you with the dew of heaven. And seven times shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And Daniel goes on in verse 27 to give a remedy and a cure and a solution to this. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. And yet 12 months later, in verse 29 and 30, we see the the result, how he quickly forgets that. And he has that idol in his heart his power, and his prestige. At the end of 12 months, he was walking about the royal uh, palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? Power and prestige... And influence is not just an idol that's, that's in the realm of uh, the governmental powers. It has impact in all aspects of our lives. Think about in the workplace. There's nothing wrong with having a good, godly work ethic. And in fact, we're encouraged to do that. But what is the motivation behind that? Are we seeking to, cr- uh, to climb to the corporate ladder? Are we seeking to make a name for ourselves, to be the employee of the year, to make ourselves a booming business? Or are we focusing our endeavors for the continuation of God's kingdom and being a light to the world? Even in 1 Peter 5 and verse 3, elders are called to be examples of the flock and not be lords over the flock, not, not making it about themselves. Even within the home, parents are called to bring up their children in the training and admonition of the Lord. We see that in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. But Satan may tempt us to train our children to follow us instead of following God and to revere us and to fear us and to bring all the honor to ourselves. Yes, we are representatives of God's authority to our children, but we are not God's ourselves. While we're on the topic of family, Family in and of itself and the relationships we have with those around us can become an idol. Uh, Whenever our love, quote-unquote, for others uh, leads us to favoritism, to compromise, to neglect to our other responsibilities, it can cause us to drift away from God and our loyalty to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 10... Matthew chapter 10, uh, we will, we'll start in verse 34, read down to verse 37. Matthew 10, starting in verse 34, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword, for I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. 
And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Again, God is the creator of family, and we need to give him the glory and honor for that. But who do we serve? Are we seeking to please those around us, even seeking to seeking the approval of parents or seeking the approval of our friends? Or are we seeking to be pleasing to God? Uh, it's, it can be an idol in our hearts to be popular. And it, some people may say, well, I just want people to like me. Is, is there anything wrong with that? If God is not the, the, at the forefront of our lives and the motivating drive behind what we say and what we do, then that can lead to us comp- making compromises in our Christian walk. Uh, we can see in Galatians chapter uh, 1. Uh, going previous a couple of verses in, uh, to give us a little bit of context. In, in verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? If I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. We must seek to be pleasing to Christ, not the men around us. Even looking at the life of Christ, Christ didn't live his life out to, uh, to be pleasing to, and catering to all of the desires of the people around him. Should we have that kind of mentality? We shouldn't. Other things we see that as idols that pop up in our lives. The idea of seeking a, an education or seeking enlightenment or more information and knowledge. God has blessed us with the ability uh, to, to know more about him, to see him in the world around us. And education is not in, uh, inherently Ungodly. God wants us to grow and to learn more of him. But what is the purpose behind that? Are we using it for ourselves? And this can be for academic uh, knowledge, for scholarly knowledge, uh, going to school, going to college. Or it can be in our Bible knowledge, our knowledge of the scriptures. Are we studying and learning for ourselves? Or are we studying and learning so that we can be changed and transformed into God's likeness? Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul's making this argument that God has made the foolishness, what we perceive as foolishness by worldly standards, to foil the wisdom of the age. And he also uh, points out in chapter 8 and verse 1 that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Love is what edifies. Do we use what God has given us for His purposes, for His glory, or are we using it selfishly? We could go on in, uh, for an eternity listing all of these different idols. Thinking of uh, the entertainment that we, that we engage ourselves in. 
God has given us this world with so many pleasurable things, but are we seeking them for ourselves and seeking out the, the vanity of vanities that the preacher speaks of in Ecclesiastes in the first, chap, uh, first few chapters? Or are we in this world fearing God and keeping His commandments. I'm not saying that we are to go through life uh, with a scowl or a frown uh, on our faces and to avoid anything uh, that is pleasurable, because God has truly blessed us. But are we using it for God's kingdom? Or are we using it for our own kingdom? I've had several discussions with stu uh, students uh, who've said, well... Wouldn't God just want you to do what makes you happy? It makes sense to the world that we should do whatever it is that makes us happy. But whenever we follow that logic, we end up leading ourselves into a, into a sort of relativism that anything goes, that whatever feels good, we need to do it. And that has nothing to do with the submission that God has called us to do. Even whenever we look at our lives, looking at where we've come from or where we're going, are we looking at ourselves or are we looking to God? Look, uh, look in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. Knowing where God has, has taken us from and where he has brought us to, we can be tempted to, to lean on that or bring the credit and glory to ourselves. In the Deuteronomy class, you see, you see God and Moses warning the people that it's not you. You're not special because you are so righteous. It's because of God who has worked through you this entire time. Uh, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3 verses 4 through 7, Talking about who he has been in the past. And if anybody as a Jew had a right to boast, he had a, he had a right. Let's look at how he, he views what his, his past. And though I might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, Concerning the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things we get, that were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. On the opposite side of that, some not looking to the past will, will have dreams of their own and goals for their future. Is it bad to have goals? Is it bad to have aspirations? No. But where is God in them? We see the rich fool in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21. That man who is not rich toward God and made plans for himself. It didn't help him at all. Uh, and even if our goals, the, ask, the, the dreams we may have, if they are 
what we may deem as good, godly goals, God, uh, goals that we think God would be pleased with. What if God were to say that that's not what was in the cards, or he doesn't want that in our lives? Think of, uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, David, the king, has this, has this idea of building a temple for the Lord. Does he end up doing that? No, because God says that's not what he has in store for him. How could David have responded? Well, now I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and go through with my plan because it's a good one. I have good intentions. I want, to, I want to give glory to God according to what I think is what he wants. Or he could have said, God, are you telling me no, that I'm not allowed to build you this temple? Then, then I'm just going to abandon you. I'm just going to leave you. You can, you can have somebody else do it. That's fine. But you're not going to get any more worship or service out of me. We ought not look at our lives as pointing to ourselves. Because the purpose of our lives is to be pointing to God. As we, uh, as we look at other idols, we see several through, through the New Testament. In Mark chapter uh, 7, verses 6 through 8, we see, the, we see the idol that the Pharisees had been making in their hearts of the traditions that they had set up. Are traditions inherently bad? No. Uh, God, in fact, has given us traditions that we are to follow. But when we create uh, uh, these traditions and we put our faith in them and seek to follow them rigidly and, and seek to enforce our traditions on other people, that's when the traditions become an idol instead of truly seeking God. Mark 7, starting in verse 6, Jesus says, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of men, you hold the tradition of men. The washing of pitchers and cups and many other things you do. Just looking at... Are we pointed to God, or are we pointed to ourselves? Now, hopefully you can follow me as, as we're coming closer to the end of the, these examples of idols. But in a sense, heaven itself can be an idol if we are seeking it out of selfish ambition. If we are seeking, seeking Jesus for ourselves, seeking it selfishly. Think of in John chapter 6, uh, whenever Jesus multiplies the loaves and the fish, and the people come in droves uh, seeking to follow him, what are they seeking him for? They see a free meal. They see an opportunity for, to, to do something for them. Uh, we see in multiple places, in Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23, where, where people think that they are uh, seeking God, but Jesus, who truly knows their hearts, says they are workers of iniquity because they are not doing the will of God. They're doing 
their own will. In John chapter 5, uh, verse 39, looking at how Jesus is speaking with the Pharisees here, he speaks to them in very sobering uh, words here in verse 39. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. The, these people were, were not seeking Jesus. They were seeking things for themselves. Are we saying that religion is is evil that we ought not that we have nothing to do with having a spiritual life? No, we need to be seeking God. We need to be reading our Bibles. We need to attend. We need to be part of a a faithful group of Christ followers. But if we lean on that, and say, oh, because I have read my Bible today, because I sat in the pew and, and worshipped at a building that has such and such a name on the front, if we think that that's going to save us, Thinking of back in, the, back in the times of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 7, they, the people had a false sense of, of security as they were putting their trust in the temple in Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do not, do not trust in these lying words, saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. That if we are not living our lives right before God, thinking that we can go before God on Sundays and Wednesdays and think that that's going to make everything okay. That's not to be the case. We cannot put the tenets of our faith as an idol and say that's going to be what saves us. In 1 Samuel chapters 4 and 5, we're not going to be reading that, but we see sin in the lives of God's people and there's, they are defeated by the Philistines. And their solution in 1 Samuel chapter 4 is, you know what? Let's get the Ark of the Covenant. That's going to be our saving grace. They put their trust in the Ark. They made an idol out of the Ark thinking that that was going to be what saves them. And, and as we see, the Philistines end up capturing it. And they take it to the house of Dagon in 1 Samuel chapter 5. And what happens there in chapter 5? We really see the comparison between the true God and what an idol really is. After one night, we see that the, the idol of Dagon is, is prostrated and falls down. And the next night, once, uh, when they come the next morning, that its, that its hands are fallen off. Idols... Don't think, they don't talk, they don't hear, they don't walk, they do nothing. Idols have no life in and of themselves. Any of these that I've listed, that you may have in your life, that I, may, that I have struggled with myself in these, or other idols that we have not mentioned, they have no life in themselves. 
And, th and something that we need to keep in mind is that these idols cannot give us the mercy that we need. Whenever we see these things and try to pursue them and, try and put them as a priority, either above God or alongside God, God is first and God is only. We ought not have anything uh, but God as whom we are seeking to serve. Seeking to follow them, we're going to fall flat on our faces. And seeking to serve God, we will still fall short. We will still be in iniquity. But the wonderful thing about seeking God for who He is and what He does, unselfishly and, see, and seeking to please Him above all else, is that He is the one who offers us grace and offers us mercy. Think of uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 7. In verse 14. 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14. We see at the dedication of the temple. Uh, God's, God's response. The Lord appeared to Solomon by night said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven... And there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, which is a result of them seeking out those idols. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves, and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and heal their land. No idol can do that. None of your idols can, none of the idols in my heart can. Only God can. Back in Ezekiel chapter 14, Ezekiel and God have this remedy for the people and say that they are to turn their faces away, to repent from these idols. And they also give a warning that if they don't turn their faces from these stumbling blocks, that God will turn his face against them. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, who are we going to call upon? Are we going to call upon the idols that this world offers that are lifeless and cannot supply us with what we need? Or are we going to call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised? Perhaps you have not done that if you're subject to that invitation. Or if you need to call upon the Lord once more, we invite you to come forward as we stand and as we sing.